to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is another one of our Frankensteinian episodes, where we bring you a crazy blend of horror movie reviews, new and old, basically whatever we want to talk about. And on this show, you get in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are Dave, Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA, and Wolfman Josh. And Jay, do you want to live the dream? <laughs> yes, I do. I would love for that to start at any time. <laughs> I'd like that to start right now, in fact. You know, uh, Wolfman Josh, I am so excited about this latest special features episode on the Movie Podcast Network. I wonder if you could just give them a quick teaser in case our listeners are unaware of this. Yeah, I mean, for our Patreon supporters, there is a new episode where we cover Stranger Things, which I'm really excited about and I'm a big fan of. And so we did that with Gilman Joel Robertson from Universal Monsters Cast and Retro Movie Geek. He's been a guest on our show here before with the Stephen King episodes mm-hmm. most recently. And uh, we did that with Matroid, who's from the Sci-Fi Podcast, and we did a lead, and he's been on the show a lot, so people should probably recognize him. Uh, Rachel, who's my wife, and she's been on the show a couple times, and Geek Cast Rye, who has never been on this show, but is Jason's cohort over at Movie Podcast Weekly, as well as Geek Cast Live. Mm-hmm. So we basically did a broad overview of Stranger Things, and then we broke it down by season. So if you don't want any spoilers for season two, you can still listen to a good hour of the podcast before we get into any spoilers for season two. And they're all very clearly laid out when spoilers come into the conversation for each season. So pretty much anybody who's never even watched the show before could pick this up and probably still listen to the first half hour and get a sense if you want to watch the show or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm super excited about it. Yeah. And we, we've heard a lot of great things for the community already. They've really enjoyed it. And um, I'm grateful you guys did that. Thank you for doing that because everybody's excited about Stranger Things. As usual, I'm late to the party, but maybe one of these days. <laughs> so, Dave, have you been watching it, Dave? No, I haven't. That's that's just one of uh, many things I'd like to do uh, or will be doing once um, once the challenge is over. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to see it. I've heard nothing. I mean, even even where I work, people have been like, "You've got to see this." So, I mean, a guy I work with said that he started watching one of them. Uh, like at 11 o'clock at night and he ended up staying all night just finishing the entire he just binge watched it just watched <laughs> the entire series so um, yeah uh, Rachel had never seen an episode and she st- I tried to get her to watch season one before season two she ended up watching all of season one in three days and all of season two in three days so she saw the entire series in <laughs> six per- day period of time <laughs> wow it's amazing <laughs> loved it yeah that is great. if she likes it i feel like anybody she's not even a big horror 
like sci-fi type of person. So, well, she actually, she does like sci-fi, but mm-hmm. I think if you're into this stuff, you'll love it. If you love the eighties, the way most of us do. Yeah. But yeah, for those people who haven't checked out our Patreon yet, it's uh, easy to sign up. It's just $2 and 50 cents to get access. And you get access at this point to nine special features episodes as well as multiple bonus episodes. I think mm-hmm. eight bonus episodes Yeah, uh, for that low, low price of $2 and 50 cents. Some of the bonus ones are just us goofing around. <laughs> There's a lot of really great stuff. I think the special features episodes are by and large, pretty strong. Yes. Um, you know, we've done a couple as a group together. That's been, right. that have been a lot of fun. We did the top 10 movie posters. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. And Jay, you specifically, you and Kyle Bishop both did your top 10 horror movie posters. Yes, right? sir. Yes. But I think the, um, man, I think this stranger things episode was a lot of fun. And I just have been recently enjoying your best picture podcast that you and Dave <laughs> posted when you guys used to do an Oscars podcast together. Okay. I thought that was, so good. I thought that was lost. I didn't even know you still had that, Jay. I got to be honest with you. I thought oh, that no. was lost. I I keep all the all the gold, Dave. I, I keep it oh, all good. saved up, and yeah, I, there were th- three of those episodes. Precious few, <laughs> and, and yeah, and right. uh, <laughs> we still have it. And so we're going to be releasing that through the, the, all three of those through that feed. The last, um, I think, strictly HMP sponsored release was our. Autopsy or Anatomy of a Kill, right? <laughs> was right. We did our top, our best uh, top ten kill scene. I think Joel uh, Joel was on that one as well. We did our top ten kills? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I believe yeah, William Rowe Jr. was on that. And William Rowe, that's right. Yes. Yep, that's right. And so, yeah, I just want to let the listeners know we we're actually going to be we're due for another HMP sponsored show as well. So that's going to be coming up over there on our uh, Patreon feed. So we'd love to have you cool. join us. Um, I, I heard a little bit of feedback, a little bit of pushback of people requesting my punishment movies. Did you guys see anything? <laughs> come, I, and I'm very serious I've about seen a few. fulfilling. I've seen a few, yeah. I, I do. I, I want to make, what's that called? Um, it, it was it was in that, that movie, that uh, Da Vinci Code movie, where the Paul Bettany character would like hit himself on the back. It's a flogging. Yeah, self, yes. Self self-flagell- flagellation. <laughs> yes, is? all of, all of those things. Yeah, this is what I I feel this is for the the child's play stuff. And and I did I got a little bit of heat too, um, and which I deserved. You know, people were like, "Yeah, you've been messing up a lot lately, Jay." And you know, they were very disappointed in me. I felt like I was getting that talk, you know, from my dad. It's like we're just disappointed in you. So <laughs> anyway, I want to take care of it. <laughs> so so if you see if if you guys are getting kind of a a consensus of the listener picks let me know what they are and cuz I'm watching for them too. I think you should just pick the one that you want to those that you want to see out of those that the because the listeners are being pretty mean in terms of yeah the they they want they right. want you to what the two the two Medea movies I oh, think yeah. are the ones I've seen the most. <laughs> well, yeah, that's you know I I deserve it. So, anyways, I won't spend a lot of time on this. I'll just say that's coming for sure. Also, there's a review for Adam that I'm either going to be doing in five minutes of horror or tagging it onto the end of this as a little solo cast review, and uh, we'll tell you more about that later. But anyways, let's jump into the episode because what we do on these Frankensteinian shows is just we bust into a bunch of different reviews. And now that we're getting to the end of the year, guys, it's time to start really 
uh, taking stock and looking at what 2017 horror has had to give us. And I know everybody's preparing their end of the year list, right? Are you guys starting to work on that? I, I am. I'm starting yeah. to work on it. I mean, I've got a ways to go. Uh, right now, it's not anywhere near a top 10. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, um, you know, putting some movies down that I think uh, are writing a few down that I think will definitely be there at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, trying to use Letterboxd a lot more this year. I haven't been perfect. I'm going to be perfect the next year, but I've been really trying to log everything I'm watching. Has not been a great movie watching year in terms of getting great stuff watched, but I have been ranking all of the movies I've seen throughout the year that you know I thought might make my list of all genres. And so I've got a pretty good list right now of horror films. Um, you know, I just have to drop out those occasional non-horror films off my list. And um, mm-hmm. okay, I'm pretty happy with what I've got so far. I mean, I, I still think the best of last year is better than the best of this year for me. But I think there are almost as many... If maybe and, and some people would argue more, but the really really strong horror films this year is the mm-hmm. last year. So. Yes. Oh, definitely, absolutely. Yes, I can't wait for our top ten list this year. I absolutely love that. It's my it's my favorite thing to do in movie related podcasting is just the end of the year list. So so listeners, mm-hmm. make sure you're getting getting ready for that with us because we love to involve the community as well and hear about your yep. top tens. So let's jump in. We got uh, several things we want to talk about. Josh, go ahead and jump in whatever you want to do first on your minis. So typically I love to do a streaming slash screaming online segment, but so many of the films I'm going to talk about this week are Netflix originals that basically the whole episode is screaming online for me. <laughs> the first one I want to talk about is The Babysitter from 2017. And this actually came out October 13th, which was right in the middle of our Movie Podcast Network meetup event, which is how I heard about this from Chris Peckover. And some of our listeners were talking about it as possibly a good double feature with Better Watch Out. So I watched this one immediately after the meetup. And this is directed, oddly, by Mick G. Oh, written no by way. Brian <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with McG directing a horror movie. I don't think anybody really knows what the deal is with McG, really. Like, I mean, but I appreciate McG. I just have to say that. If you're bold enough to go by McG, then you're the man. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I, I wish I could come up with a name like that. But anyways, go ahead. <laughs> Not the best. Uh, it doesn't give me a lot of confidence, I guess, <laughs> going into a horror film. It's written right. by Brian Dunfield. And it's interesting. I've heard kind of through the grapevine that Brian Dunfield's a great writer and that he wasn't himself super happy with how the film came out. I think it's a very entertaining horror comedy, but it is a little bit over the top. And I do feel there are directorial choices that in some ways give it a lot of pizzazz, but in other ways kind of rob of the horror that it could have. Classic Um, McG. Classic McG. (laughs) Yeah, I think it reminded me a little bit of Happy Death Day, but I liked this one better in terms of pulling off what it was trying to pull off. It just was very over the top, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, so what you have here is a little kid who is kind of in love with his babysitter, uh, you know, very similar to Better Watch Out. And his parents go to town and he's left alone with the babysitter. And he decides he's going to stay up late to see what happens after he goes to sleep. He's never, 
he's a very innocent young young boy, and he's never really seen what goes on in the house once he's asleep. So he kind of gives himself this this plan that he'll he'll see what it's all about. And let's just say he is shocked and horrified to see <laughs> what goes on while he's been asleep. And uh, I, I don't want to spoil it because that's a lot of the fun of the film. I, I haven't seen the trailer. Maybe the trailer spoils it all anyway. But mm-hmm. um, since this is a mini review, I'll just keep it at that and just say it's it's a wild ride. And um, the the main performances are very good. The babysitter is played by Samara Weaving. She's excellent. Um, there's kind of a funny role of Bella Thorne playing a cheerleader, and she's kind of funny in the film. The main kid is Judah Lewis, and I think he's really strong as um, as the boy in the film. And, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the supporting cast isn't great. There's Robbie Amell, who uh, some people may recognize. He was in some of the uh, live-action Scooby-Doo movies that they made after the <laughs> Freddie Prinze Jr. left the series, so he's in two of them uh, as Fred. But but also in the Flash as uh, Deathstorm, right? Is that his character name yeah, or something like that? I, I guess so. Um, <laughs> Leslie Bibb and Kim Marino were both in this film, who I'm a huge fan of, but they are not in it very much. They're they're kind of wasted here. They're basically just little mini cameos. And Hannah May Lee, who is a really really interesting looking actress, very kind of extreme um, features. She's in this as well, and is, is really cool. But anyway, yeah, it's kind of a wild ride. There's a lot of of kind of meta kind of um, I feel like and I'm, I'm kind of forgetting because it's been a little while since I've seen it but I believe there are these titles on the screen for the characters in kind of like a zombie land esque way or or maybe even the introductions in the faculty where it'll freeze frame and the graphics will come up on the screen I think there's a lot of that at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. and that took me out of it a little bit I wish that wasn't in the movie, particularly because the two, again, the two main performances with Samara Weaving and Judah Lewis are so much fun. I just, I feel like uh, the movie would have been a lot better had that not been part of the mix, okay. but yeah, that's, that's it for the babysitter. I, you know, I, it's, it is a Netflix original it's streaming right now. I think this is an easy, um, cue it is what I would say mm-hmm. recommendation. So that's a rental for, especially if you're a horror comedy fan, you probably watch this one right away and you'll, you'll be, you'll enjoy yourself. If you're not a horror comedy fan, I still think it's worth getting around to at some point, but it's not one that's going to probably make your end of the year list. So you can put on the back burner a little bit. Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your number rating on that one? Oh, good question. Um, I would give this one a 7.5. Hmm. That's awesome. I'm just about to the point where I can predict exactly your number. I, I was thinking that you were the way you were talking sounded like a seven. So I'm feeling good about that. All right. Yeah. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed the viewing experience. Again, there were moments where I thought, ah, eh, this is way too over the top, and this could be so much more fun if it was a little more naturalistic. But those performances are so great, and um, it's a fun ride. Okay, so that's The Babysitter from 2017. And what else you got for us, Wolfman Josh? We're going to talk about the Stephen King adaptation, Gerald's Game, later in the show. But another Stephen King adaptation that I saw that's also a Netflix original is the film 1922, which is uh, directed by Zach Hilditch. It's a brand new Netflix release as well. 
And this one stars Thomas Jane in what I think is a pretty unrecognizable role. This was maybe the best thing I've ever seen Thomas Jane in. I just thought he was excellent as an actor, and I'm not usually a fan of his, to be honest. Mm. And so um, he just really goes for it. I, I could see people criticizing it for being a little bit over the top in terms of um, he's really doing the accent and stuff, but but he plays it so naturally for me. I, I just bought into him as this guy. And basically what you have here is a farmer who he's, you know, kind of just a, as it says here on IMDb, a simple yet proud farmer. Um, he conspires with his teenage son to murder his wife. And it's, it's really interesting. Uh, it, it's, it is a slow film and a lot of the movie is just about the paranoia that happens to people once a crime has been committed. And, uh, you know, so it, it has, it's a bit of a telltale heart type of film, I would say, mm-hmm. but that it goes a lot further toward the end of the movie. It doesn't go as far as the Stephen King source material does. I understand. And I'm a little disappointed by that as a horror fan. Um, I hear the source material gets pretty paranormal toward the end of the novel. This is more of um, left up to your imagination as to whether or not what he's experiencing is real or not. They don't, it's not, it's not very explicit, but there are some pretty gruesome uh, scenes toward the end as he's kind of, you know, dealing with the ramifications of, of what he's done. It's a great drama film. I think um, the horror is, it's a little bit light on the horror. There's a lot of suspense and tension again, telltale heart. So classic horror and, you know, to some degree of the Edgar Allan Poe variety, but um, nice entry from Stephen King. I think just to kind of cap off a great year of, you know, obviously some people weren't fans of the dark tower, but in my opinion, a great year of Stephen (laughs) King adaptation, just a Renaissance really for Stephen King material. Mm -hmm. Some of which I just absolutely loved like it. And so, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. I would give this one, Probably a 7.5 as well. I think it is a little slight in terms of plot. There's not much that goes on. So it's really, it weighs heavily on um, the performance by Thomas Jane. And he does great, but it's just not, um, I don't know if it's enough to carry the film for most audiences. I think had it been more supernatural, as the novel suggests, I would have enjoyed that more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but it's good. It's quality, and there are great supporting performances. The guy who plays his son, whose name I'm blanking on, I think it's Dylan Schmidt. His wife, played by, I believe, Molly Parker. Um, Neil McDonough is in this, who's a great character actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin Bernard is in this, who's, who's great. So a lot of nice performances. The Sheriff, who is Brian Darcy James. Just a, a great collection of actors here. But a nice film. It's an atmospheric tonal piece about guilt and about greed and it's it's interesting i would recommend people cue that as well i'll call it a rental okay i've got two other little netflix originals i'll cover since we're doing this right now um one -hmm. is called little evil i've been meaning to talk about for a long time and just keep forgetting this one's directed by eli craig who is the guy behind tucker and dale versus evil (laughs) and has worked on the zombie land uh, television series as well. And um, this one is interesting. It stars 
Um, Adam Scott, who's one of my favorite comedic actors from Parks and Recreation, as well as Evangeline Lilly from Lost. Mm-hmm. Kate. And it's essentially a horror comedy version of The Omen is what is all it is. Um, he Adam Scott marries into this family. And the his new wife, Evangeline Lily, has this evil little son who is the spawn of Satan. And there's some kind of vast religious conspiracy with Clancy Brown as, as a reverend, and they intend to summon the the devil through this little boy somehow. And it's it's really just kind of a weird little family drama comedy mixed up with horror goofiness. Um, there's comedian. Chris D'Elia has a small role. Tyler Labine from Tucker Dale versus evil has a small role. Donald Faison from scrubs has a small role and um, it's, but it's mostly just Adam Scott and this kid and Adam Scott's excellent, but the film I feel like is just a little flat for me. It didn't do much for me. Uh, you know, I, I really went in wanting to like this and I, and I, and I didn't hate the experience, but I just left thinking, Oh, that was, there wasn't much meat on the bone. Let me put it that way. Okay. It, was just, it, was, it was just not much there. So for me, little evil is probably like a 5.5 as a film. It's still a breezy watch. And so if you like Adam Scott or you like this premise or you like horror comedies, again, I'd probably say cue it. I think it's worth checking out once if those things sound like your bag. If not, then I, it's definitely one you could skip. Okay. Yeah, that is little evil. It's interesting. You mentioned uh, you said Clancy Brown as as a as a reverend and talking about like uh, the devil and stuff. I immediately thought of Carnival, mm-hmm. that show from uh, HBO, that really underrated show. I think they only lasted two seasons. Yes, um, but that had some definite horror elements in the, in it as well. That show. Um, yeah, I liked that show. I did too. I was really upset when they only when they only put out two seasons of that. Okay, one more Netflix original mini before we get into our Netflix original feature, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is directed by Adam Wingard, and people know him from Your Next and the VHS series and The Guest, and of course Blair Witch, Jay's favorite movie. <laughs> um, this one is called Death Note. It's a brand new 2017 Netflix original. And I liked this one quite a lot. I, I, I've heard from fans of the original manga and anime that this is terrible, but I thought it was very watchable. <laughs> Again, I don't know if it is the, I don't know what it is with these Netflix originals and maybe it's just the types of films they're looking for films that maybe didn't feel like they would get a good theatrical distribution elsewhere, but Netflix kind of knows they've got the audience for them. Again, it felt a little slight to me. And a little bit disposable in the way that the babysitter did, but like the babysitter, it very fun and energetic. And I would say better than the babysitter in, in a lot of ways. Basically what you have here is this high school student, light Turner. He finds a mysterious notebook and he finds that he, if he writes someone's name down in it, they die and he can write down the manner of their death. And it comes to pass. And so very quickly he, um, starts using this power and decides he's going to save the world essentially through his ability to kill bad guys. Right. Mm -hmm. And the thing I liked about this movie is unlike a lot of independent, smaller independent films, especially Adam Weingart. I mean, like 
or Wingard. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his name, but um, you know, from your next that has kind of a, um, it, it's kind of reserved in terms of how it attacks the premise. I feel like this goes all out and just, it's like a, the story and maybe that's because it has, you know, the source material it does being uh, a comic book, a manga, but it really dives deep into the premise really quickly. And it goes and it kind of plays out all types of different scenarios. And the plot gets much further along, I think, than I imagined a film like this would, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of plotting here, a lot of mythology to this world. And, you know, this is a whole anime series and whole manga series. And I heard Adam talk about potentially turning this into a franchise if it were successful. I don't know if it has been, and I don't know that the fans have responded to it well. I, I think I've heard that fans of the source material material are not happy with this one, but I had the benefit of not being familiar with the source material, and I thought this was a really fun kind of stream. And so I think if you are a younger person, like if you're in high school, I can imagine this being a really great movie to watch with friends and just and having a great time. You know, from a 13 year old and I'm having a sleepover. This is a great <laughs> party movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and it's it's very violent. Uh, the deaths are often very gruesome. They have a little bit of a final destination vibe to them because, you know, um, the deaths that he writes about have to find a way to occur. But um, it's pretty fun. It, it's it's not strictly horror. There is definitely like a. uh kind of a police procedural crime movie feel to it. There's an investigation that takes place. There's a lot of action. There's a little bit of drama, but there's also a death God played by Willem Dafoe. And he looks really creepy. And these people get taken out in (laughs) horrific fashion. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I would give this one also a 7.5, but I would say stream it right away. This is a, you know, this would be a buy if it weren't on uh Netflix original um, for me as a, you know, as a horror comedy, I think it's a, a fun, lightweight horror comedy. Yeah, okay. That's comedic as well then in tone, but I know you like the police procedural type murder mystery. I bet that's contributing to your favor toward the film. All right, guys. So at this point, this is what I've been looking forward to most in this entire episode. I'm so excited about this review. But just want to say one quick thing to the listeners. We have been experimenting tonight with some technology alternatives to Skype. And so if there are some weird dynamics between us, <laughs> like we're not paying attention to each other or something, then that's what's going on. We still love each other and everything. So don't worry about that. Anyways, at this point, let's move into our feature review of Gerald's Game. This is going to be good for us, Jess. Really good. That's a marriage, isn't it? Working on the difficult things. For better or worse. Let's go in, get comfy. I bet you think your husband will be back any minute. Try to go for help. There's no one for miles. Gerald? I'm sorry, baby. You don't get to know my name. I don't like this. I'm serious. Stop. I don't like that. Stop it! Play. Is this really what it takes these days? God, how do we go so wrong? We were happy once. Where were we? Gerald? What? What's happening? Gerald! 
Now, I know that a lot of people have already seen this film, right? Like in the community, people have been talking about for a long time. When did this hit on Netflix? This is a Netflix original, right? So you guys remember when that was? It came out in September, I think the 29th of September Okay, on Netflix. So this is one of those things where we had our October coverage all set. And so we didn't get to talk about it for quite a while. That's true. Yeah. And then we heard lots of great buzz and people loving it. And as soon as I heard the premise, I'm like, oh, this movie is made for me. I mean, it just seems like my perfect movie. And so what I want to say just right up front, if you are unfamiliar for some reason with Gerald's Game, I know most people have seen it, but if you haven't seen it and you're totally like a blank, clean slate then do you guys agree? I would just tell those people, don't listen to this review just yet and just watch it blind, go in completely blind. Do you guys agree with that or not? I do. I, that's how I went into it. I didn't know anything about it either. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely agree with you. I don't, I don't really have strong feelings about that one way or the other, but okay. I, I also feel like we re- don't really spoil things too much. And No, we're very careful about that. The thing is, it's just a very surprising film. I mean, I had heard the premise and I loved it. Like it had me at hello. <laughs> I can't believe I just said right. a, a Jerry Maguire reference. I hate myself right now. But anyways. Wow. No, I, I, no I, I, refer- I say that all the time just because it's, <laughs> it's, it's too easy not to. There aren't other <laughs> phrases that are... That, Good uh, Lord, Jay's coming up with McGee. He's coming up with Jerry Maguire uh, quotes. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I'm losing all kinds of uh, cred right now. Anyways, so this is a, directed by Mike Flanagan. And for those who are somewhat familiar and you haven't skipped ahead on the review, this is a survival horror movie as far as I'm concerned. And it is my favorite kind because it's that perishing predicament where the longer you're stuck in a situation the deadlier it becomes. And I love that. And so like the basic premise, for those who don't know, you have this couple who are going to this little getaway, kind of remote, and they want to spice up their marriage. And so he's attached her to the bed by handcuffs. And then he has a heart attack and dies. And she is trapped in handcuffs on a bed. And (laughs) that is the setup for this film. Now that is like my perfect kind of film. Not necessarily, not anything having to do with handcuffs, of course, but I'm just saying that's an amazing predicament to be in. Mm -hmm. It's a little more credible than getting stuck on a ski lift, right? Or not? Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't 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 know. know. I guess getting stuck on a ski lift is more likely to happen to me than this scenario probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You and me both, brother. It's just the way of things, I guess. But well, first of all, you know, it's not that I'm not an exciting person, but I'm just I I don't find myself in handcuffs very often. Maybe Doc does, but no, no, I not not at all. Okay, years. For me, it's usually a case of racial profiling more than anything else, so it's not pleasant. (laughs) That's terrible, Josh. That makes me so sad when every time. I mean, Josh has some out- outraging stories. I uh, seriously, I'm, I'm half. Jo- I'm mostly joking. I know, but anyways, brother. Uh, okay, so this is a, another Netflix original, as you said. It's streaming on Netflix right now, and this this has a um, this is has its origins in the Stephen King camp as well, right? I mean, this is as you said, yeah. a Stephen King renaissance. I mean, this is the year of Stephen King. I cannot believe how strong for the most part he's been this year. And this is one of my favorites that we've seen. 
This is a beloved Stephen King story as well. And I remember when we were doing our Stephen King coverage earlier in the year, um, I think it was Allison was saying, man, I wish they would do Gerald's game. That's my favorite book. And I remember getting to tell her, guess what? They are <laughs> Mike Flanagan's doing it. In fact. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it's, it's so fun sometimes to hear about these Netflix originals because unless they're um, acquisitions, when they are truly made in house, I usually only hear about them like the week before they come out. So it's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, they're making right. one. It comes out next month. Like, what? <laughs> it's almost like a Clint Eastwood movie. You never you never <laughs> know they're actually coming until they're released. Yeah, That's true. That's absolutely true. So, guys, I guess when I confess something, I got to eat crow right up front. Um and, and I'm going to be very careful about how I talk about this. So don't worry. No spoilers. But I'm just going to say this. When this, when I heard the premise, as you know, I was just in love with this. I couldn't wait to see it. And then I finally saw it. And then the way that it was unfolding, because I'm like, okay, here is a real screenwriter challenge because you've got this, you know, person stuck in this place. And worse yet, in this situation, you know, she is alone. And so initially, as she begins to talk to herself, I'm like, well, you know, like I started my judgmental jerkiness, like, well, that's a. you know, a little secret window. Yeah, it's a little, and it's one of those <laughs> screenwriter cheats where, like, okay, when I'm by myself, I'll be honest, maybe a little bit, I talk to myself out loud. It depends on how happy or excited I am. If I'm not happy, though, I'm not talking to myself out loud. Just saying that. Um, maybe that was an overshare. <laughs> but I mean, I do feel like if you were facing life or death circumstances where you really needed to pump yourself up to survive you might find yourself giving yourself a pep talk here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Or if you're in a situation where you're so dehydrated or or something that you're delirious, I can see that happening as well. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, I don't think it's too extreme. Right. Yeah. But I hear you. I hear what you're saying. It seems a little convenient for screenwriting. Um, yeah, and it's it's not like they gave her uh, Wilson the volleyball, you know, like within Castaway. Right. But but you know, I, I was like, okay, I see what they're doing, but you know, you have to give them some grace because I'm like, this is a very difficult predicament, even for a screenwriter, because in a way, they're kind of handcuffed to this bed as well. <laughs> but uh, so then what they start doing to give her um, dialogue, right? Which you know what I'm referring to. I was like, wait a second. Okay, and I got I immediately got very angry and upset, and I'm like, oh, this is really putting a damper on it. But I just want to say up front, by the time the film wraps up and ends, and I see the whole picture of what the screenwriters were doing and, and what we learn, I'm like, oh, this is pure brilliance, and I, I am just totally over the moon about this film. What say you guys? Yeah. So it was written by Mike Flanagan and uh, Jeff Howard, who is his sometimes collaborator. I thought they did a great job. I think I'm sure a lot of this is in King's material to begin with. Mm-hmm. Extremely disturbing stuff. And I liked it. I mean, yeah, I think it, it removes it from a strictly survival horror setting to some degree. But I, I and I can understand why as you as a major survival horror fan wouldn't necessarily immediately love that. But I do think where it takes the story yes. it raises the stakes so much more it increases the horror it increases mm-hmm. your love for this characters and um mm-hmm. i i really loved the performances by 
well, by Bruce Greenwood, even as the husband, I, I, as much as it is, it feels like a bit of a cheat at first. I really enjoyed his interaction uh, with her during the film and Carla Gugina, who's um, I've had a crush on her since I was probably seven years old. Mm-hmm. She was a child actress in um, true Beverly Hills. And she's just a couple of years older than me. And I've had a major crush on her since true Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. My entire life. <laughs> and so yes. um, I always enjoy seeing her on screen. And it's been interesting uh, to see this different phase in her career. And I, I love to see her get a part like this because I think she's so talented. And she doesn't always get the chance to show that, you know, she has to be in a Uwe Bowl movie or, or something occasionally. <laughs> so I, I like that she's getting an awesome part like this where it's really, I mean, Yes, we do deviate from the main storyline, but it really is her film. You know, mm-hmm. it's just her, and she does a great job. It's not quite 127 hours. It's not quite phone booth, but it really, for the most part, it is just her for the majority of the time, and she does an excellent job. I loved also the um, little cameo appearance from, like, Henry Thomas from E.T. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's incredible and disturbing and amazing in this movie. Um, Kate Siegel, I, I enjoyed just seeing her in the film as as uh, Jesse's mom in the in the flashback. That was just cool to see her, who is uh, of course Mike Flanagan's wife and uh, his co writer and star of Hush. So it was kind of fun to see her in there as well. But yes, um, just excellent cast. I agree with you. Excellent writing, and I and I do um, attribute probably a lot of that to Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Of course, I agree. Dave, what what do you have to say about this film? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said so far about the performances, especially Henry Thomas. Uh, you know, you got to kind of remind yourself that this kid was in ET, this, this guy was in ET when he was a kid, yeah, uh, with the type of character he's playing. I mean, there's that, that great scene where he's just sitting on the bed and, and talking and you could see the manipulation. You could see what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really is like a monster, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and he handled it so well. And you mm-hmm. could you could see that that's probably how someone would handle something like that in that situation. Um, He's so no, good. This, yeah. yeah, he really is. He really is. Um, but no, th- there was. Uh, uh, you feel the dread. You know, you you feel the dread as as the night is getting closer. Uh, you feel. Um, you know what's going on. Uh, you know with that dog. It just there's a lot of things going on in the movie even though it's taking place in one setting even though it's just in that room there's still quite a bit going on Mm -hmm. um and a very oh man i i had a hard time watching towards the end there's a scene of what i would say is is gore um that (laughs) is is right towards the end that man i was cringing the whole time true true body horror in this film yeah absolutely Absolutely. But no, I, I, and I did go in jail. I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't seen any trailers. Um, uh, when you, uh, sent the message today, you said, you know, definitely check this out. Um, yeah, I was really impressed. I'm glad to hear that. And you know, I, what I love, this is one of those films, even though it seems so simple at the outset, it actually have, has several degrees of horror in it. And I like how, um, the concept of a a monster or monstrosity or what have you is defined and redefined 
in, in this film. And it reminds me in that way somewhat of Pet Cemetery, just in that I loved how many horror elements um, Stephen King is able to like shoehorn in, to, well, and actually organically work in to Pet Cemetery. And I feel like this film just surprises you with a bouquet of horror right before your eyes. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. I'm usually not scared when I'm watching a horror film, but I was actually pretty freaked out on this and, um, and, and creeped out like genuinely, like there are some moments in it where like when it was over and I had to like, you know, walk through the house in the dark and go to bed. And, and I'll tell you one other thing. (laughs) You know how yeah, it's it, not a movie, a fun movie to get in bed to. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Yeah, not at all. And and in fact, and uh, this is I am so grateful. Um, I'm so grateful I didn't watch this like two nights before, you know, or maybe even it was the night before I actually saw this. Um, I had a very similar experience. You know how like sometimes you'll be in your room in the dark. And, and, you know, but just because of the shadows and the awful lighting and it's very dim, you'll think you see somebody or something standing in your room. Well, I had a very strong, um, alarming instance of this in my room like um, two nights ago. And I was going to get in bed and, and, and like, like I saw that. And I'm telling you, if that had happened to me after watching this movie... I probably, I probably would have had a nervous breakdown. I I wouldn't be in any condition to. Uh, you, would, you would not have. You wouldn't have slept that night. That's for sure. No, no. And, and so the, this this film is genuinely scary that way. And and the the degrees of horror, like I often say, like you know, this is a good example of horror happens to those who deserve at least. And I feel like that's exactly the case with this character. She's a, a save the cat type of protagonist right from the beginning we love her heart that they paint her as a very sympathetic character really well and so you're so invested in her and then when you as you learn just the degrees of horror that this woman is experiencing or wrestling with it's it's profound to me yeah sorry i was absolutely (laughs) i agree (laughs) i agree Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I'm just really, uh, there's so much more I would love to say about this, but, but honestly, I don't know. I'll just tell people, you know, just cause of, I just want to be so careful about spoiling anything, but I will say this film surprised me in another way. It's like, okay, um, this is going to be pretty tame, pretty timid, and it's not going to go there. And then it does go there and then it goes beyond there. And it does that a few times to me like in terms of expectations and i was extremely happy about that too and just um just impressed all to hell (laughs) right that's what i would say i I remember we you know this was we were at our mpn meetup and i was talking to some of the listeners about this and i can't remember who it was that said it actually um i feel like it was juan or dark Mark that said this to me, but one of the listeners said this movie actually takes the hobbling scene in misery and surpasses it. There's a scene in this film that surpasses the hobbling scene in misery. And I said, that is impossible. Like, <laughs> nope, your skin will be crawling. Trust me. You're not going to be able to handle it. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, they're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's hard to compare. It's apples to oranges, but man, it's, um, it is. It's unforgettable. Insane. 
it, yeah. it's just unforgettable really i mean but but i i was and just it's earned it's not you know it's it's the kind of level of ferocity that is 100% emotionally earned it's the story you know the storytelling the plot everything it gets to to exactly where it needs to be so it's not gratuitous as as intense and insane as it is it's not gratuitous it's just mm-hmm. what it should be Agreed, a hundred percent. And you know, yep. one reason I'm so obsessed with survival horror films is because I love to to do that thing where you think, okay, what would I do in this situation? And then I, I always find myself realizing, yep, I would have died because I would not be willing to do what it takes to survive. Like in Frozen, mm-hmm. for example, I mean, there are some extreme measures taken when they're up on the ski lift. <laughs> Like, I'm thinking of the the first victim in particular. Um, It's like, I wouldn't have have done that. It's like, nope, I don't do that. (laughs) And and like 127 hours, like there is no way I could do that. Right. Just die. I'd just die. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So let's, um, I I guess there's not a whole lot more we can say about this. Um, But one of these days, honestly, I could see going into a you know an in-depth spoiler review or something I, I i just i feel like it's a fresh movie and i think we'll be talking about it a lot more i know i will be this year and so um you know maybe we'll come back to it later so if you haven't seen it listeners make sure you see gerald's game streaming on netflix for me guys this is a 10 out of 10 it is one of my favorite horror films of the year and actually one of my favorites within the past decade I, re- I highly recommend this. It's a must-see. What do you call it, Dave? I'd say a 9 out of 10, to be honest with you. And I, I, it's a strong contender for me to be on the top 10 list as well. I mean, I still have quite a bit more to see. But, yeah, definitely. I'm uh, I'm right there with you. I'd say 9, and it's a, it's a must-see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would call it a buy. Would you, would you buy this? Is this the kind of movie you would buy it? It is. Now, I don't know. Being a Netflix original, uh, I don't know. Like, did Hush ever come out? To buy? No, Mike Flanagan talked about how he had tried to convince them to release Hush as a Blu-ray and he was unsuccessful, or at least at that point had been unsuccessful. Now, I will say we talked about this on our Stranger Things bonus. There is a Blu-ray release of Stranger Things. They've released it in a cool VHS case box set. Oh, um, nice. The Stranger Things season. So it's interesting to see Netflix... Uh, moving to physical media with their original content. Stranger Things may be an aberration. It might just be, um, you know, the one case in which they're going to do that. But I'm hopeful, and especially I know that um, Flanagan was pushing for it So with Hush. So I'm hoping uh, if that is successful for Netflix that they will continue to release some of their original content on Blu-ray. And I would right. absolutely buy this. Yeah, just to go, I guess, into my too, yeah. My final words. I would buy this if it was available. It's a it's a stream right away. It's a must see film for 2017. If you're going to make your list, I think you you should check this one out. Um, it's not one of my top top movies of 2017, but I do think it is one of the best Stephen King adaptations in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it it jumps to the top or near not the very top, but definitely into my top 10 Stephen King adaptations as well. So that's, that's cool. Um, yeah, I'm with Dave. I give this one a nine and I had a few issues with it at the very end, which I might, if we can do 30 seconds of spoiler talk, I might say just in one succinct sentence, 
the problem I had with the film. It, it, it's not that significant, but it is enough that it knocked it down a bit for me. Interesting. So do you want to, do you want to, are you giving us a warning then? And you're going to do the, you want to say that? Yeah, let's that just, is? I mean, we'll just say, I think, um, spoiler warning for Gerald's game. I, I don't know what these guys are going to say to it, but I, it's literally one sentence for me. I did not love the way they handled the Moonlight Man. I just felt like it needed more or less. I, I, I could have gone with less and been fine with the film without it. I think the way they put it in there, it felt like a little tacked on to me. And I felt like they should have been doing it a lot more throughout to set up um, what we eventually see. I just, it felt. I felt like one of those things when you see a book adaptation, it's like, well, that was in the book. So of course we had to put it in there. It didn't really, in my opinion, didn't really fit the ending of the film. It just felt like this weird ending on the film that mm. I didn't really get. And, and see, I can, I can agree. I can see exactly what you're saying. And I think that that's legitimate, but for whatever reason, I loved it because it, it actually scared me. It freaked me out because it, it freaks me out too. Absolutely. The, the realization, <laughs> you know, uh, but anyways, yeah, absolutely. All right. So scary you, concept, but didn't love the execution on that. I get you. So you both said a nine must see. We've all called it a must see. We all say stream it right now. And it sounds like yeah. it's, it would be a buy for all of us if we can ever purchase it then. Absolutely. And it's right up there. Like I, with hush for me, I would love to, I'd love to buy Hush, and I'd love to buy uh, Gerald's game if if it becomes available, if they become available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Hope you're listening, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. Well, uh, we got another brand new uh, 2017 film here. Let's move into our feature review of Jigsaw. Now, the game's simple. Best ones are. You want reverse, eh? by the rules. Any identification on the victim? Puzzle piece. But Jigsaw has been dead for 10 years. It's not him. Can't be. This was on the body. The truth will set you free. Okay, so uh, in theaters here, as of October 27th, we had a Jigsaw, and if I'm not mistaken, it's hard to keep track of this stuff. Is it the 8th? saw a franchise film i believe it is i believe so no, number eight uh, i mean i'm not a, a student of the saw franchise though i do appreciate it for sure and um, seven years after the previous installment mm -hmm. as well that's right yeah so this is the eighth one this follows uh saw 3d from 2010 so um now just a couple of things i want to say right off the bat on this i i think that Anybody who's familiar with this Saw franchise, uh, I can say this, you know, without spoiling it for those who aren't, the screenwriting in this franchise is a work to behold. It's the kind of thing where <laughs> if you're interested in screenwriting, it's pretty notable to see what they do in this franchise. There's a lot of like, uh, I think I called it screenwriter calisthenics. I mean, they, they do some wild <laughs> yoga back bends and i mean it's it's some crazy wacky stuff in order to pull off this this storyline and this character and to keep things going as we would expect from a saw film and and here again we have and this isn't necessarily a bad thing i'm just saying we have a lot more of the same although i would say 
I, I think it's fairly clever. And so I, I think this is a very fun film. I know that's weird to people who are non-horror fans um, because it is kind of, you know, sick and demented. But honestly, I had a black. I felt like delight and I felt a little bit weird about myself. But it was <laughs> it, it, here. Here's why, though, Josh, let me just before people think I'm totally nuts. The thing is, I love the concept of um vigilante justice right but behind uh mm-hmm. you know john kramer's like mission <laughs> it, it's a, you know he's one of those people who goes after awful people and although he seems like an awful killer at the same time there's a certain morality to him and i've always appreciated that about this franchise now i wish in a lot of these saw movies i wish they explored that a little bit like further like i wish they went nerdier with it um but i think that and actually it went with the film called jigsaw i actually thought we, that's what we were gonna get yeah to be honest yeah and and i would i would love and appreciate that now they do they do hit on it you know usually as usual those same kind of beats where you know there's a there's a morality behind this this vigilante justice of sorts and and i love that but i just wish we could explore that further because i think that that the Tobin Bell, uh, you know, jigsaw concept is, is really cool, and, and I love I love him, and I love his I love his voice too. I mean, there is something about his voice that is just mm-hmm. like it, it's just such a commanding presence. But what what did you think of a Wolfman? So I have not been a fan of this franchise in large part. I I did go back and watch the original and I thought, wow, that is a special film. I like it more than I remembered liking it. The, the There's a, a Tobin Bell kind of reveal in that film that's a major spoiler for that movie. <laughs> and for me, that is it's kind of up there. Like, it's as iconic almost as the door slam in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's one of those moments where you're just like, holy crap, what, you know? Right. And um, it it kind of is a shock to the system for me. I have never, I had never been a James Wan fan. It was really the conjuring that convinced me that James Wan was a guy that that I wanted to be following because that's the saw aesthetic, I guess is the main reason I, I really hated the look of the cinematography and the quick cutting, the kind of like ultra hyper editing style was a real turnoff to me. It felt dated to me, even when it was happening and it had just kind of a grungy feel to me that I, I, I get, that's just the world of saw. And so it was really refreshing to me to see them drop all of that for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have that same look. It doesn't have that same editing style. It just feels like a modern, clean film. I think this is probably the best-looking Saw film that I've seen. Again, I'm not an adherent to the franchise. This was one that we considered doing instead of Child's Play for October because it also had a new release coming out. Based on this, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling like maybe I, I may have even enjoyed this more. But I have not loved all the Saw films that I've seen along the way, which has you know, kept me from watching all of them. I haven't seen all of them. And um, I've disliked multiple saw films that I've put in. So uh, this I liked, I felt like this had a bit from column a, a bit from column B. It had Mm -hmm. kind of the, um, 
the stuff that I that I really appreciate about Saw, which is the impact on the characters, the emotional, psychological impact on these characters, the the um, these kind of quandaries that they are put in. They're not necessarily, I guess, they are. They're mo- these moral quandaries that they're put. That to me is the fun stuff about Saw. Mm-hmm. It also delivers on the gore, and it's got some. Although I do think it's a little bit toned back from the last one that I saw, I still think it delivers. MV crazy gore department. I think for yes. me, I, I thought as a reboot, this would have, I don't know. Would you call this a reboot? A I, sequel seven years later. No, I wouldn't. Like this is intended to jumpstart the franchise maybe again, but I, I, and I agree with what you said there. I wouldn't necessarily call it a reboot, but because I think it still follows the, you know, the original, right? The original. Yeah. I feel like it's sequencing. kind of like the way curse of Chucky was maybe, yeah, it's not maybe a, a reboot in the traditional sense of that word, but it is intended. It kind of gives a fresh take on the franchise. Mm-hmm. I felt like we were, I guess I thought we'd get a fresher take, I guess. I, I see is, that. Yeah. This is more of the same to some degree, but I do yes. think they got the best of what saw is. I think the first film still is something special. Yes. And I think that we see that with a lot of the original films in a franchise. They're just, even maybe if they're outdone in, in, in camera work or a- acting or storytelling, there's still something so engaging about that first film that has launched a franchise that um, it's hard to surpass. I feel that way about this one. I feel like it's hard to beat the first Saw, but I feel like this does everything I would want to see in a Saw movie and doesn't do a lot of the things that I hated about the Saw movies, Mm -hmm. which was way over the top in the torture, (laughs) way over the top in the camera work and editing. I feel like this is just an enjoyable film. It is enjoyable. And, and, you know, in in terms of like defining it like as a, uh, a sequel, you know, we, we could be more precise with that, but, you know, we don't want to go into, like, too, too much detail about about this film because, you know, we, we want to save some surprises right. for the audience, obviously. But right. the, the other thing is, and, and I just have to put this out there, um, even though I do admire the cleverness, I mean, I think there's some, some really clever stuff in the screenwriting. Uh, still, when it ends and, you know, you see the answer to everything and what has happened and how this all has gone down. <laughs> it's like, okay. You know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of dumb, but I still loved it. You know, it was still fun. Right. I still had a blast. So, so it is dumb. It, it is absurd and ridiculous, but it's, it's also, um, like you said, it's really enjoyable and that's weird, right? I didn't expect this film to be enjoyable. Per- yeah. Because I haven't enjoyed many of the saw films, but I, but again, I will say it's, it's a saw movie. Like it, it's dumb. Yes. But a lot of the saw films are dumb in the same way, I guess. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. it's a, it was a familiar feeling of, yeah. Okay. That's what they do. That's just what they do in these movies. Yeah. But, um, but I don't know. I, I, I think I, I liked this better than most of the other saw films I've seen other than the first one. And especially I can't say enough about um, the visuals being so much more appealing to me. I think the Spirit Brothers, who, you know, I my favorite film they have done is Daybreakers. Oh, but yeah. I quite enjoyed I enjoyed Predestination as well. And Undead is an interesting film. These guys are interesting horror filmmakers. They're, you know, they're a little bit more glossy and actiony mm-hmm. than I typically enjoy, but I I like what they did to this franchise, at least with this entry in the franchise. So with him, yeah, I do too. I 
I think it's a, I, it's something I definitely recommend. Now, when I when I give my rating here, Wolfman, uh, probably the fans of this movie will be ticked off. But you know, I feel perfectly fine about this rating when it's lined up against something like uh, Gerald's Game which is truly a horror film, just like this is truly a horror film. It's like the intelligence, the depth of scare, the the psychological impact. Like I'm still reeling and thinking about Gerald's game. And so um, even though I think this is fun, you know, this Jigsaw is a 6.5 out of 10 for me. I say see it in the theater. You know, I encourage people on Movie Podcast Weekly, go see it in the theater. It's a great, fun time for Halloween, which because it came out right before Halloween. But otherwise, once it's out of the theater, I think it's a rental. Uh, you can't go wrong, but I mean, it's it's just a rental to me. What do you say, Wolfman? Um, yeah, I, I, I see where you're going with that. I, I do want to mention that the screenwriters, Pete Goldfinger and Josh Stolberg, um, they've written a lot of other films that we've talked about. And, and Josh Stolberg is, uh, full disclosure, kind of a friend of the show. He was one of our jury members uh, for the Horror Cinema Awards last year. But these guys co-wrote Piranha 3D and Sorority Row and a couple of films like that. So I just wanted to let people know that we are, I am uh, admitting that we have a very slight connection to to Josh Stolberg. But um, I enjoyed this one. Like I said, I, I pretty much agree with you. I was toying with an eight. Ultimately, you had to bring Gerald's game into it. And so I'm going to go with 7.5. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but but I agree with you. I think this is an easy recommend to see in the theaters. I think this is a really fun th- horror movie to see in the theater. And I think if you're a fan of the Saw franchise, it's easily a buy because I think it's one of the better installments of that for me it's probably still just a rental mm-hmm. because I, they're just not my favorite franchise but i am i am actually curious if we ever do get around to that soft franchise review to watch them all in a row right and i do feel like this is one that's going to rise to the top out of that franchise mm-hmm. so. and i think we will probably get around to that because i think that could be that could be fun on some level but one last thing mm-hmm. i want to say about this uh, uh so as you learn about the uh, quote-unquote victims in Saw movies, like you, you know, there are revelations there too. There are always revelations surrounding John Kramer and there are always revelations surrounding the various victims. Well, in this one, (laughs) there was one of these particular victims that the more I learned, I'm like, okay, this person needs to get it. You know, I was totally on the John Kramer, like, (laughs) you know, know. anyways, and I think that uh, speaks to the effectiveness of the film. But anyway, sounds like we both had a good time. Dave, are you going to be catching up with Jigsaw after hearing this review? Yeah, I I think so. Just to see what they would do with it after seven years. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good time. All right. Well, I'm, this is a, another part of the show that I've been really excited to hear about. Uh, Dave's going to he's going to recap some of the, the films that he reviewed in our 31 days of Halloween. And Dave, I am most excited, if you don't mind, if it, for you to sure. tell them about the evil within, just in case they didn't read that review, because I loved that story. All right. Sure. Well, the evil within it's a 2017 film directed by uh, Andrew Getty. And it's, it's a story about uh, this guy. He's mentally disabled and uh, he lives with his brother. 
Uh, and there's some background there with with the brother of, of, you know, the brother sort of taking care of him. But this guy, the brother finds a mirror in the basement of the house and he brings it up and puts it in this guy's room. And it's, who is it? The character, I'm trying to think who it is. I'm trying to find the actor because the actor actually did a very good job playing um, this guy. It is, well, the character's name is Dennis Peterson, Frederick Kohler played him and he looks at his reflection his reflection starts talking back to him and telling him to do you know some pretty bad things the director i saw um he was being interviewed you know back when they were making the movie and they he had uh they he had said that um to sum the movie up it's what if it really was a dog telling the son of sam to go out and kill Mm. Uh, and that's what this movie takes it sort of like you see the birth of a serial killer um, but as I was watching the movie, there's a scene late in the film where a couple characters, um, Sean Patrick Flannery and Dina, uh, Dina Meyer, they're out having lunch. Um, they're a little bit, uh, you know, discombobulated because they don't, they're, they're not, they've been living in this town for a while. They don't recognize anybody. And all of a sudden he thinks he recognizes somebody sitting at a table. So he goes up and he you know, pats the guy on the back. Well, this guy stands up, this huge guy stands up and turns around. And I looked and I said, Oh, okay. That's, that's Matthew McGrory. Yeah. That's who that is. I said, wait a second. <laughs> Matthew McGrory died in 2005. I know for a fact, because I had the devil's rejects DVD and they did a little, you know, tribute to him on that D on, on the DVD. And I said, well, okay, this is a 2017 movie. He died in 2005. Well, it's it's got quite a history to it anyway. The history of the movie is it was um, funded by the director who also wrote the script, um, you know, uh, Andrew Getty. It was shot in his mansion. He is the grandson of J. Paul Getty, you know, the, um, I guess, Getty gas, uh, Getty oil. Mm-hmm. Um, so he shot it between 2002 and 2008. It kept starting and stopping because he was running into problems with the actors. Uh, he got sued a few times, um, you know, uh, stuff like that. Well, he finally finished it in 2008. Then from 2008 to 2015 was meticulously editing this. He was, uh, he was cutting the movie. Wow. He was putting special effects in, you know, just really sort of meticulously. He did that until 2015 because on March 31st, 2015, he died of what was an intestinal rupture brought on by his addiction to methamphetamines is what the coroner had called it. At that point, the producer stepped in. He had been helping with the editing already. He stepped in, finished the movie and released it. Now, the the film itself, it, it really is. It's a very dark. It's a very dark movie. Because you do see this guy talking uh, to himself. And then what it is, is, um, you know, his reflection talks back. Now, when he talks, he talks as somebody who is mentally disabled. You know, he's, he's sort of slow, um, uh, almost childlike. But the reflection talking back is not that way. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's very, um, you know, very sinister. Uh, but there's also a, a demon. Now, the demon is played by Michael Berryman. Now, Michael Berryman is one of those very distinctive actors that mm-hmm. when you see him, you know, okay, well, you know, another one like Matthew McGrory say, okay, Michael Berryman. Love him. I thought, I, I do too, but I thought it might be a distraction with him in this movie, but it's not. It's not a distraction at all because of this. He plays a demonic sort of character that is living in this mirror. And 
some very interesting scenes uh, with Michael Berryman. This movie has, starts off with a dream sequence. It is one of the better dream sequences I've seen depicted because I think it really does sort of capture a dream, you know, with, with the way he put it together. Um, and the, the, the performance, like I said, by Frederick Kohler is, is it's excellent. It really is. He's playing essentially two characters. Um, and there's, there is a lot of darkness in this. Um, you know, the, like his reflection tells him, Oh, you know, they tell you it's not good to kill, but then, you know, you shouldn't kill animals, but then, um, you know, they serve you meat and that had to kill an animal. It's a lie they're telling you. So you have to show them that you're not going to be lied to anymore. So he convinces him, you know, to, to go out and take out some, some animals. And then it just builds from there. Um, but it does fall apart at the end. Now, I don't know what the producer stepped in and edited in this movie, but there is a distinctive shift when it gets to about 20 minutes left in the film where people suddenly pop up who you hadn't seen before. Characters disappear. Um, and, and you know, so you, you learn about their fate and you hadn't seen anything along those lines. That whole scene I was telling you about with with the brother and and his fiance um, with uh, Sean Patrick Flannery and, and Dina, Dina Meyer, um, where they're sort of going through town and they don't really recognize anyone. That was never set up, and that does happen toward the end. So it does get very muddled, very choppy towards the end of the movie. Uh, it's about, I guess, an hour and a half, but for the solid hour, hour plus there. It's a very dark, very creepy movie. Um, if I were to give it a rating, it would probably be a 7 out of 10. And I'd say it's a high-priority rental. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, And it's one of those things where the, like, the behind-the-scenes is, is almost as interesting as the movie itself. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. I, I really wanted to see that from your review. You totally sold me on it. And even just the premise, I think, is great. And anytime you have a yeah. filmmaker who's willing to invest all that time, I mean, Josh, you're a filmmaker. Can you imagine putting, what was it, seven years, however many years it was that he... Well, they shot it for six years, and then he was editing for seven years. Yeah, that's now, what I was going to say, seven years of editing. his cut of the movie, yeah. I wanted to see his cut of the movie, but we probably wouldn't see it till like 2025 at the rate he was going. <laughs> right. You know, but... Um, but I would have loved to have seen him finish this movie, especially with what he had done with a lot of the dream sequences and stuff at the beginning. But, but Josh, what I was saying, though, like with the editing for seven years, I mean, as a documentary filmmaker, you have a lot of footage in order to like sort and incorporate and so forth. And so I don't even know what the average would be for a documentary film. But what are your I mean, thoughts on this? I feel like I've been editing for seven years on everything I'm working on. <laughs> um, yeah, it takes a long time. It usually doesn't take that long with a fictional film, but I think with nonfiction, it's not uncommon. I know uh, Andrew James, who was my co-director on Clean Flicks, he has a film that's coming out or that's kind of come out this year called Street Fighting Men, and he began production in that in 2010. And yeah, we're in 2017, and he's just releasing it, so... He's been at that a very long time. Um, excellent film. I highly recommend if people can get a chance to see Street Fighting Men. Uh, I would. It's not horror. It's a documentary about um, life in the tough streets of Detroit, but very great filmmaking there um, mm-hmm. from Andrew. 
Yeah. But yeah, that's not uncommon. I mean, we've been, I've been in post for three to four years on the last two documentaries I directed. And it's, it's kind of feels weird because you just like, well, I guess I'll go start directing something else, even though I've been in post on this other thing for three (laughs) to four years, you know, but you gotta, you gotta eat. So that's right, brother. Oh, cool. But well, well, Dave, thanks for bringing us that review, The Evil Within. And yeah, if people want to read sure. Dave's review, 31 Days of Halloween, it's excellent. Um, we can link it in the show notes. But what else do you got for us, Dave? Um, another one that I thought was kind of interesting. Again, this is sort of a low budget. It's a movie called We Go On. Um, this was uh, directed by Jesse Holland and Andy Milton. And uh, the basic setup is that there's this guy, uh, Miles. And he's afraid of a lot of things. He's afraid of driving. He's afraid of airplanes. He's afraid of, you know, a lot of things. But it all comes back to a fear of, obviously, death. Um, now, he's uh, he would like to think that death is not the end, but he seems to believe that it is. So what he does is he places a classified ad offering a reward of $30,000 to the first person who can convince him beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is an afterlife, that, that you do continue after death. Um, he uh, looks through, he gets a bunch of replies, and he gets puts a few aside, and he visits several people, uh, brings his uh, mother with him, who's very skeptical. Uh, it's played by Annette O'Toole, who, of course, was in the, um, the original It uh, as the older version of the... Um, uh, what's the girl's character? I can't remember her name, but um, uh, she was in the original It film. Beverly, uh, Beverly yes, that's it, Beverly. Yeah. Um, uh, she played the adult version of Beverly in the 1990 uh, TV movie It. Um, but they go around, and, and it's interesting because they, they talk to a guy who takes a very scientific approach to it with with monitors, and and he says to Miles, if, if you – when you're afraid is when you'll see the evidence when you're at your, when you're really afraid, that's when you'll see it. Um, but anyway, some of them turn out to be hoaxes, um, shows up in one place, you know, wasn't sure where the house is. He goes to ask this guy and this guy says, Oh yeah, I'm, um, um, uh, I don't know. I'm setting up over here. uh, All these, uh, you know, special effects in this house. Um, this guy has someone coming over and, um, I was like, okay, well, this guy's obviously just going to try and pull the wool over my eyes, whatever. But, um, and some of them who you think might be real. Anyway, he gets a message from somebody, uh, Nelson, a guy named Jay Dunn. Uh, he's a janitor in LA. He gets a, a message from, from, uh, Nelson saying, Hey, I can, I can give you what you're looking for. Well, he does. And Miles realizes that, you know, you got to watch what you ask for because his life takes a very horrific turn at that point. And what I liked about the movie was I liked the setup. I liked that this guy, you know, saying, okay, anybody who who can prove this to me, um, some of them are, like I said, some of them you feel are genuine, uh, you know, early on when he's visiting these these different people. Some of them you really think are, are, you know, what you're looking at. Yeah, this this is this is what it is. Um, But it's when. Towards the end, when this guy, um, Nelson, gets involved, that it takes a very strong supernatural turn. Um, and for me, it worked. It, it did. Uh, and what he ends up going through, um, it does get more intense, as obviously, as the movie goes on. 
but then it, the intensity doesn't let up, and then it tastes a very strange uh, twist towards the end that you just don't see coming. I mean, even if you can kind of guess where it's going to go with, with Nelson, uh, something happens at the very end that you just don't see coming. Uh, and I like that about the film as well. It isn't it isn't a perfect movie. Um, there's a scene, you know, he's never driven before. So he wants to go meet Nelson. His mother, I guess, wasn't going to. But he wanted to do it without his mother, who's been, like I said, very skeptical. So he sort of teaches himself how to drive uh, with, um, I, I guess, it's like online or something. And you just I didn't buy that. Uh, you know, you, you don't buy that this guy can go from never driving before to all of a sudden driving to, to the LAX, um, you know, or he ends up meeting um, meeting Nelson or right outside the airport. Right. Uh, and um, there's also I, I also didn't really buy how Nelson got in touch with him in the first place. Uh, they don't it's just sort of a quick little aside and it could have been interesting to explore it a little more. But it just they just sort of pushed that to the wayside. Uh, but other than that, I think this one was a surprise for me. I did uh, really, uh, uh, I did like it, and it's a very dark film as well. Uh, I would give this one a, um, I'd probably give this one the same, probably a seven out of ten, and I'd say it's a high priority rental. Oh, excellent. Okay, and that's called We Go On. Yes. Excellent. All right. Anything else you want to talk about, Dave? Uh, yeah, and I got to see some, I know you guys have, um, talked about before. Um, I got to see the black coach daughter, which, uh, I was really impressed with. Mm-hmm. Let me pull it's that, let me pull that up here. It really is. And I liked, I like what, uh, one of the things I liked about, you know, it's following two different storylines at once. So it's got this mystery quality to it. You know, it's like, how are these going to hook up? How are these stories going to, um, uh, you know, come together? And, um, you know, you don't expect, I didn't expect, um, you know, the, the connection that there was, but also the, the performances in this, um, you know, even Emma Roberts, I thought was, was really good in this. I know she's been criticized mm-hmm. uh, a lot in the past, but I think, you know, she was good in this film, um, Lucy Boynton, uh, as well. But the one who really got me was, was, uh, Kiernan Shipka, young girl, um, yeah, she's she was excellent, excellent in this movie. And I know people who had seen Mad Men, uh, she played Don Draper's daughter in Mad uh, Men. Okay. Uh, and, and she, you know, is really, really excellent in, in uh, Black Coat's daughter as well. Uh, this yeah. is another one that, that has a strong uh, potential of being in, in, you know, on a list at the end of the year as well. Like yeah. I said, I got a lot more to go, so I can't say for sure. Um, but this is one, you know, I, I, I really liked it. I really did. Um, I also got to see a dark song. Mm-hmm. Another which, excellent film. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the setup, this, this thing starts right off with, you know, the, the whole idea of this, this, um, she contacts, um, uh, there's a woman who, um, wants she wants to communicate with, with her son who had passed away is, is what the initial setup is. So she contacts this, um, what is this? I guess a master, uh, in the occult who has, there's a ceremony that you can do that will get her, you know, and it, it takes weeks to do this ceremony and it's very intense and mm. things go on. And, and I mean, you know, and they're in this house and then like you see them slowly sort of, 
getting in touch with the other side and, and, uh, you know, sort of revealing itself slowly. Um, but one of the more interesting aspects is this relationship that develops between these two characters. Um, you know, there's the, the, it really is sort of a love hate thing and, and they do things. Mm -hmm. Each one does something, um, to make the other one sort of doubt them and, and to really, you know, uh, it's just so it's just so interesting. I mm -hmm. thought that that they had that um, dynamic with these characters. I didn't love the ending, um, but it didn't ruin the movie for me. Okay, I mean, I, I could see mm -hmm. where some people were like, "Oh, wow, that thing's like you know where it ultimately went." But I think some people I loved did that really ending. Like yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I mean, I did. I like I said, I just it, it seemed. A little too tidy compared to with everything that had gone up to that point. Right. It didn't ruin it for me though. I did really love this. I really liked the dark song as well. I would probably give this one. I'd give it a nine out of ten, and I'd say it's a buy. I think it's one that, <laughs> um, uh, you, you know, you might go back and watch. And uh, I'd watch. I'll, I know I'm looking forward to watching it again. And I would. I'd probably give that the, the same to a Black Coast Daughter. Also nine out of ten, and say that's a buy as well. Excellent. And you, you said you also uh, wanted to talk about Raw? Yes, yes. I got to see Raw also. Um, once again, a, a sort of uh, French uh, ex, uh, extreme movie. You know, they, they, seem to, they seem to have a knack for that uh, mm -hmm. with movies like Inside and Frontiers and uh, Martyrs. Heck yeah. Um, and we get, uh, you know, we get that in Raw as well. Um, it's, it's really, a, it's really a, <clears throat> a very intense coming of age tale is what it is. You know, yeah. you, you have this uh, young girl, Justine, um, and she goes, uh, she's a, a freshman at this veterinary school that her sister, uh, Alexia, is it Alexia also attends. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, she's shy at first. She's having a hard time fitting in. Um, and she's also been a vegetarian her whole life. You know, she's not eating meat. Well, then they force her to eat as, as a sort of hazing ceremony at this veterinary school. Uh, they force her to eat a raw rabbit liver. <laughs> well, she has a, a reaction to this. You know, she has a physical reaction to it. But it also turns us like a switch in her mind. Sorry. And she finds herself. What? Sorry. Does it make her hoppy? <laughs> Just kidding. No, Sorry, I'll shut up. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. Josh hates me um, right now. <laughs> he hates me right um, now. But she finds that she has a uh, she she develops this this sort of craving for raw meat, um, and it turns out that she comes by it honestly. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> um, it's it's a very it's a very twisted sort of film and, and you see her personality change as she starts eating the meat. Now she's going to party. She's much more outgoing. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just a very, like I said, it's a very, it's a very twisted coming of age tale is, is the way as I look at it. And I'd give this one an 8.5 out of 10. Again, I, I think it's a buy. but um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed, I, I, I enjoyed catching up with all of these movies. I really did. And there were some others, you know, I hadn't seen like the hallow and all that I saw um, uh, during the last 31 days uh, that I, I enjoyed that as well. 
Um, but what, what would you uh, give the Halo? One, I'd give the Halo probably an eight point five. Mm-hmm. It's a really strong mm-hmm. sort of monster movie. You know, for, mm-hmm. for, I look at it, and it's and steeped in sort of that Irish folklore, which I thought was really interesting. And practical mm-hmm. effects. I think that's the strongest part of it is the practical effects. Love it. Yeah, I dig that film. Super cool. That's awesome, Dave. Josh, I know you have a, a couple more for us as well. Let's let's hear your mini reviews. Well, I'm just going to do some postmortems. While Dave's on the subject of movies we've already covered on the show, I'll just quickly give my take on Annabelle creation and It Comes at Night. And uh, those were two films that you guys have already discussed that I got a chance to catch up with during the month of October. And I quite enjoyed both of them. Uh, I thought Ink Comes at Night was just this gorgeous, paranoid, post-apocalyptic art film. I think the problem I have with a film like this now, I'm realizing, and this has come up with other films for me this year, is that in the age of horror television, when we do have these stories that go on and on and on, and there's so much richness in the depth of the storytelling. When we have a a film like this, I feel like it's making it feel like the films have to do a little bit more. I guess it feels like this is, could just be an episode of the walking dead to me. And although (laughs) they do some really interesting things and some really beautiful things, it's just gorgeous filmmaking. There is a part of me that's like, well, this could literally just be any episode of a zombie or a television show or something. It's not a zombie film explicitly, but it does, you know, there is a, a sickness and in the post-apocalyptic world. And it, I love the paranoia in this movie. I love the performances in this movie. I love the way it's shot. It's incredibly gorgeously shot. There's no movie lights. It's all um, practical lighting, whether it's daylight or flashlights or lanterns or whatever. And it looks so good some of the best cinematography i've seen this year but uh story-wise yeah it's just not much there and i think um i blame horror tv for being so good that uh can i feel like uh, for a film to distinguish itself it just needs to do a little bit more these days in my opinion can i just say that you're you're hurting my heart right now but i can't really argue with what you're saying, it's making me mad. <laughs> is what I'm telling you. Like because I, I'm a, I'm over the moon. I'm insane for that film. I just love it. Comes at night. But everything you said makes sense because it is a very um, spare and I mean it's a simple simple tale. So that's a great point, Josh. Excellent observation. No, it, it is. It's strong. I give it a nine, and I tell people to rent it and it's uh it's a watch right away i mean honestly it's a buy it for me in terms of like level of quality but it's just not a movie i'm going to rewatch again because there's just not much to the story for me now i will say all of the human stakes and the, that stuff is really powerful but again it's just I feel like it's something i can see any day of the week if i flip <laughs> on the walking dead so i mean I, that's horrible to say when a film is you know is this well constructed but it's just that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. So you're calling it a nine and then like a high priority rental then? Yeah. That- I think, I think okay. if that sounds interesting to people, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a paranoid post-apocalyptic film about, you know, people breaking down in difficult situations. I think that's, mm-hmm. 
And it's a, gr- it's a great example of that. And then the other one is Annabelle Creation, which is, um, you know, we, you, you reviewed David F. Sandberg directed it, and, who had done Lights Out previous to this and is doing Shazam next, which is, I think, unfortunate. Um, not for that film, but just <laughs> I want to keep him in horror. Yeah, He's a guy like Mike Flanagan, who directed Gerald's Game, who I just feel like we need these guys in horror. They're, they're doing great work. And, and I think... Um, David of Sandberg is still developing and I feel like he needs a couple more. I want a couple good, more good horror films out of him before he moves on, you know, cause I feel like he's getting better and better. And I, I feel like we have, we have yet to see his horror masterpiece, but Annabelle creation as a prequel sequel installment in a much larger universe of the conjuring universe, I think is far better than it has any right to be. I think it's filled with multiple amazing kid performances. This is a film that covers a bunch of kids living at an orphanage in an orphanage situation. I guess it's at a home, but um, so you've got all these kids and they're all great little actors. I think they're all wonderful. All these little girls are so good. And uh, the adults are, are, are good as well. There's a nun in the film who I don't know if this is the, the titular nun from the upcoming nun movie directed mm-hmm. by the director of the hollow Kern Hardy, but it is certainly an, a, a nun in the um, conjuring universe. Yeah. I'm, I'm suspecting super, it. Um, yeah. d- Josh, because I'm suspecting that because of the whole, the way Marvel does its universes. And I, I bet you this yeah. is all kind of set up. Right. I'm guessing so too. Um, but I love, uh, I, I love everything about this movie other than it's a little killer doll movie, which I'm just not that super interested in <laughs> right. as a, as a topic, you know, it's just not that interesting to having on the tail end of doing our Chucky franchise. Um, those movies did a lot of interesting things, but ultimately they're just not my kind of movie. And that's kind of how I felt about Annabelle creation. I loved a lot of the things it did. It had some really fun moments, it had some moments that reminded me of the conjuring at times and, uh, but yeah, ultimately it's just, eh, it's not exactly my cup of tea, but it still makes me want to see more horror from David F. Sandberg. And I appreciate all of the artists involved with this one. So this one I would probably give a seven and I would call it a high priority rental. Okay. But how, I'm dying to know, how did you feel about that opening? You know, what all that precedes the title card and spooky, all spooky yes. is how it grabbed you. Yeah. Like, I, it was really good. I really I good. just had a I, <laughs> I just about had a meltdown from that that oh, open. like an emotionally yeah yeah I, mean, I I I liked I well it's it's a misdirect and a, a couple of times so that's I guess that's where I'm coming up with spooky but oh okay um I liked I liked how they set it up yeah it's it's emotionally devastating I suppose mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right so you're, you're saying uh, Annabelle Creation is like a seven and you call it a high priority rental then. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then you also got to see uh, the Bad Batch, right? Yeah. Uh, the Bad Batch was an excellent film. Um, this is one of the most unique films I've seen this year. Of course, it's still rooted in a rich cinema history. It's very much in the mode of the acid westerns of the 60s and 70s. 
It's uh, post-apocalyptic cannibal film. Now the director, um, Anna Lily Amapur, I believe is her name. I, I don't mm-hmm. have it in front of me, but she directed A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Yes. She says this is a pre-apocalyptic movie is how she characterizes it. So she she's saying this, this could be out there right now. <laughs> this world could be out there in the desert right now, but basically we have a we have a dystopian future or a dystopian world where the undesirables, who they refer to as the bad batch, have been uh, kicked out of society and they live in this Mad Max style desert scenario. The cool things about this movie is how beautifully it's shot. Uh, the camera work is all spectacular. There's some effects in the film that are spectacular. The settings are just amazing. And apparently you're not going to believe it when you see the movie, but apparently these were all real locations that exist out in the inland empire. And they shot this film all out in that California desert of the inland empire. And the director and Lily Amapur, she said that she never left that location during the entire time of filming. Even when she'd have three days off, she'd make herself stay in the desert because she wanted to be completely submerged in that universe. Wow. And um, the film stars Suki Waterhouse, who was the star of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. This was actually her acting debut. She filmed this before. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but you know it's a small independent film. It's taken so long to do festivals and come out that um, you know this came out far after. I guess her other her other work that she's now known for. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I guess she was a model. Um, this also has Jason Momoa is a very prominent figure in the film. Rather than playing Polynesian, he plays Cuban. And he has this big tattoo across his chest with his character's name, which is Miami man. And he talks with a really thick Cuban accent throughout the film. And it's pretty good. It's one of the better things I've seen him in a uh, really cool role for him. Uh, Keanu Reeves has a Im- small, but important role as the dream is the name of his character. And, Giovanna Rabisi has a almost more of a cameo. He could it could have been played by anyone, but it's cool that it's Giovanna Rabisi because I love him. Yes, uh, he plays a character called the Screamer, and Jim Carrey is in a role in this film, completely unrecognizable. It wasn't until his third scene in the movie that I realized it was him. <laughs> I didn't realize it was him first scene in the film. I didn't realize it was him in the second scene of the film. Then I saw an wow. interview. Then I, I had to take a break from the movie in the middle just because of the way life went. And I watched an interview with the director, and she mentioned the Jim Carrey's in the movie. I'm like, what? Jim Carrey's in this movie? <laughs> and then his third scene came up, and knowing that he was in it, I recognized him. But then I had to, I had to rewind the film and realize I've already seen this guy on screen twice, and I didn't realize that's who it was. Amazing. So, that's pretty i mean that's something especially with someone like jim carrey that's that's impressive yeah yeah and he's Hmm. he's good in it he's you know he doesn't have a whole lot to do the real star of the film is suki waterhouse and jason momoa is probably a a close second but it's it like i say it's an acid western very much you know she has said that el topo was a major influence on her from yodorowsky and Mm -hmm. you can see that 
<laughs> that kind of influence here. Is it that um, far? Like, is it that far out there, wacky as El Topo um, or not? It's not quite that far, but it's, n- I mean, it's in a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's not, the, I mean, there, there are some, I would say it's underdeveloped compared to that film where that film has these really iconic scenes that will disturb you forever. Oh man, I guess this one does too. I guess the thing about this one is they're all early on and a lot of the latter half of the film feels like wandering through the desert, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, it has some crazy scenes very near the beginning of this movie. But yeah, if you've seen some of those, um, like Alex Cox movies, like the one I always think of as Walker, which recently got a Criterion release, but there's also uh, Straight to Hell, which has been a longtime favorite of mine, um, featuring a bunch of punk rockers in it. That kind of stuff. El Topo, yeah, definitely was an influence. Um, it's a it's a trippy movie, you know. It's a psychedelic western, post apocalyptic cannibal film. Wow. So, okay. Uh, but but it, I would say it's not going to be narratively fulfilling for most audience members. It is an art film, and like El Topo or something like that, you're not going to like walk away feel, feeling fulfilled if you're just expecting like three act structure. And you know, I'm sure if I, you know, I I'm sure if you were a, a recreational drug user, this would be a fun film to watch uh, while you're high. I'm you know, as a sober person, I would say it was still pretty uh, um trippy um you know keanu reeves and diego luna diego luna plays a dj and keanu reeves is kind of like the the party leader it's almost like the scenes in the underground of the matrix where they're having those big rave scenes it's not Mm -hmm. it's not that unpleasant to look at but it is that kind of a vibe keanu reeves is like the leader of this community basically what you have are these two warring um, desert communities and a young girl who is a recent um, addition to the bad batch. She's a recent, you know, was recently thrown into the desert by the government. And, you know, she finds her way into one of the camps. And unfortunately for her, it's the cannibal camp. And then she, you know, the other camp, which is kind of like the hippie druggy camp, which is the one that Keanu Reeves runs. So it's kind of like Keanu Reeves camp versus Jason Momoa's camp. And um, but there's not many verses that takes place, really. It's a very it's a very thin on plot points and there's still a lot of drama that happens but it's a lot of internal character drama mm-hmm. uh, and interpersonal drama um it's not there's not many big moments there aren't many big set pieces there's a lot of beautiful imagery but it's pretty sparse when it comes to explicit um i mean i think anyone who's seen her other film a girl who walks home alone at night it, it doesn't that film is very fulfilling in certain ways, but it's more um, about the mood. It's more about the atmosphere and it doesn't, it doesn't hit all of the uh, tropes you'd expect to see in a vampire film. And I would say the same about this in a cannibal film. It doesn't, it's not, not following the, 
structure you'd probably expect to see in a film like this. You mm-hmm. know, it's just kind of a film that wanders, it's just characters wandering in the desert and the film kind of wanders as well. Yeah, I believe, um, as I recall, I think Juan and Dino both really love this film. They were highly recommending it. I think it's going to be pretty high up on their list this year. So, Wolfman Josh, what do you rate The Bad Batch then? So, for me, The Bad Batch is a nine, and I can see this going down as a cult classic. It's not going to be for most people, I don't think, though, to be honest. It is kind of a weird psychedelic art film and it's an interesting second film it is i can see why people would consider this a sophomore slump for the filmmaker it doesn't kind of like deliver on the promise of uh, a girl walks home alone at night in in the sense that it doesn't feel familiar to that film and much it does it does at times but not much it feels like a very different thing but i do think that's exciting because we can see i can see a very broad future for this filmmaker where she can really go in a lot of different directions and as a filmmaker who seems like she can deliver a lot of different types of stories which is exciting to me right so mm-hmm. yeah um it's it's a nine but yeah not for everyone i would i would call it um for me i would buy it actually but I, it's probably going to be a rental for most people and so i feel comfortable recommending a rental okay rental all right. And then um, what about Boys in the Trees? Oh, yeah. Boys in the Trees. Now, this is a film that's been compared to a film you're going to talk about, which is Super Dark Times. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, these are films that um, people have, I guess, been questioning whether or not they're horror movies. I think Boys in the Trees is maybe more explicitly a horror film than, than Super Dark Times. Uh, because we're dealing with kind of a paranormal situation, but essentially um, it, it takes place in Australia. So we've got another strong Australian en- entry this year. It's just the year of Australian horror. Um, it takes place in the late nineties, which is interesting. It's not a world we see on screen too much, or we haven't seen since it was actually taking place <laughs> really too much, mm-hmm. but um, it follows two skater friends who have been estranged for most of their lives and they were friends when they were little kids and one of them grew up to be popular and the other one grew up to be a loser and they come into contact with each other on Halloween night and kind of have this pretty negative interaction with one another and you know where the popular kids friends are bullying his former friend. And a lot of the film is about them exploring their relationship that they've had in their life and seeing the pain that the one has caused the other. Um, while also having some kind of creepy moments throughout there is explicit paranormal and horror in the film. And but a lot of it is psychological in nature mm-hmm. and a lot of it's just drama, but I will say for probably being CGI and for mostly being off screen, this has, has one of the coolest werewolf scenes I've seen in a modern movie. Ooh. Um, yeah, I, that was amazing. But again, it's kind of psychological in nature without trying, without giving too much away. But it's just like, holy crap, that was a cool <laughs> werewolf scene. <laughs> and um, just some fun Halloween setting stuff. It is, you know, it has that kids on Halloween night 
up to no good kind of vibe to it. And um, I know the Jody, one of our former listeners of the year, right? Jody horror guy, or mm-hmm. maybe he wasn't, was he ever a listener of the year? He deserved I, to be probably. Absolutely. That's for sure. I think Kagan just eclipsed them last year because Kagan did so much stuff for us. <laughs> Right. Jody was definitely one of our more supportive listeners when he joined this community and um, for sure. was a very active member of our community and he loved this movie. I know he dressed up as Jonah, one of the characters from this film for Halloween and his son dressed up as well as one of the main characters. That was kind of cool. Wait, it was Corey. Yeah. I think his son dressed up as Corey and he dressed up as Jonah. But they that's what Jody was for Halloween was this character. And then also I think they went to like a Comic-Con and Jody's posted photos of it on Twitter at uh, Jody Horror Guy. If people want to check those out, they're pretty cool. But Jody and, and a lot of others were very much impacted by this movie. And yeah, it's a very emotional film. And I know I've seen a lot of our listeners talking about this on Twitter, just saying how much of an impact this had on them. I think Sal was another one who felt that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a really beautiful film in terms of kind of the message behind it, it has a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. It is, um, does not impact me necessarily in the same way that it, it did those guys, but I enjoyed it. And I would, I think I would give this one a seven and I would call it a rental, Okay, but I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of blowback from folks who think it's a 10 and a buy. Um, but I, th- I do think it's a nice film. It's not one I'm going to probably revisit, but I think um, if you were bullied or you were in a situation where, you know, you've had these kind of estranged friendships growing up, I think it's probably one that you could take a lot from and um, it could be pretty meaningful. Yeah, I'm intrigued by that. I, I can't wait to see it. And Josh, you saw Amityville, The Awakening, right? And if I'm not mistaken, I feel like I've been hearing about that film since 2010. So apparently finally... It's out there for people to see, right? Yeah, it's a film that has had a lot of trouble getting out. Um, I don't, I don't totally get why it didn't. They didn't do any advertising for it when it came out, and I think it's the lowest grossing movie of all time. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> even lower than Zizek's Road because Zizek's Road is insanely low low grossing which i mean I'll, I'll try to look that up while we're talking um the film it was pretty interesting to me it's uh it's got a lot of problems so i understand why um it would not be a beloved film but i mostly think people just didn't see it to be honest <laughs> and um the interesting thing about it is that it's a meta take on the Amityville story. The film takes place in a world where the Amityville horror movies exist. Neat. And it features characters moving into that house, knowing about these movies. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably the most interesting change that we have here. Jennifer Jason Lee is the mom. And I think she just elevates the material so much. I, I think she's an incredible actress. Yes. Agreed. One of the best Absolutely. actresses her age. And so I agree to have her in the film adds so much to the movie, even though she's not the main character. So having Jennifer Jason Lee in it was amazing. Having Jennifer Morrison in it was amazing. They're both 
such talented actresses. They just completely elevate the material. Bella Thorne is also in this movie who I'm not a huge fan of, but I have appreciated her. She was in the um, premiere of the Scream television series. She was in uh, The Babysitter, I guess, which I just talked about tonight. She's, I don't know. There's something about her that I don't quite like, but she does an okay job here. It's just, I think it's more unfortunate that we have these stellar older actresses, not old, they're older. I mean, but they're, you know, older than Bella Thorne. And yet we're compelled to follow the teenager story in this. And it's just like, why? I mean, especially the original Amityville films being about, you know, the parents to a large degree mm-hmm. and the, 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 journey that the father is going on in those films. I just don't love that. We're have to feel like we have to focus on these high school characters when they're just not the most interesting characters or actors in the movie, you know, but say la vie. Um, Basically what you have here (laughs) is Jennifer Jason Lee moves her family into the Amityville house. There's her son is in a coma and his twin played by Bella Thorne is not, and she's not happy about this new move and she's not happy about her situation. Her friends at school learned that she's moved into the Amityville house. And so they want to go and actually watch the Amityville horror in their house at three 15 in the morning and see the, if the house will come alive. And it does. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a fun take on the material. It's not, I, I actually, I love the original film. It's just one of my faves and I actually really enjoy the Ryan Reynolds remake as well, which I don't think is a popular opinion, but I, I love the setting of these films. I love the I world. It's good. Yeah. This franchise. The Ryan Reynolds one is good. I'm with you. I, I like it, but I, yeah, I don't think that's a popular opinion, but um, I think they're, I think they're both fun movies and the sequels are a little, aren't quite as good, but they're right. There was, I wouldn't mind revisiting this. I wouldn't mind visiting this franchise during a franchise review. But so I would say this is probably one of the worst ones, but it is interesting to see them try something totally new. I would, I think if I was going meta on this, I'd rather uh, follow the conjuring universe version of this movie, probably, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, uh, but um still cool so i would give uh amityville awakening is that what it's called amityville the awakening yeah it's amityville the awakening correct yeah i i would give this one a six and i would call it a rental okay and i got the uh info for you so supposedly this grossed uh 742 dollars according to box office mojo but that still isn't as bad as zizik's road from 2006 which is just like a thriller it, it supposedly only made 30 dollars <laughs> some some sources entertainment wow. weekly has it down at 20 dollars <laughs> so that's insane yeah, I, I actually had looked that up as well. And we had a couple of our listeners. I had put a tweet out about this on the Horror Movie Podcast Twitter. A couple of our listeners re- responded to it. Willis Armored Foe, who designed our HMP t-shirt, said, the number of theaters it opened in makes a huge difference as well. No one knew about it. Can't expect to make money when you don't advertise. True. Jake Parker said, this sucks. It's a pretty great installment for the franchise, actually, and they didn't promote it at all. And 
CE Jeffrey said, at least it still beats Zizek's road. So correct. There you go. <laughs> yes. It would be very difficult um, not to beat Zizek's road. I mean, basically you could have your family come your immediate family and beat that. But yeah, and- Sean Osborne cheekily writes, that's awesome. Stop with the ridiculous remakes. $742. I made more than that last week. <laughs> well done well done sir okay awesome so that's uh amityville the awakening josh says it's a six calls it a rental okay so then finally (laughs) as we as we start to wrap up the show we're gonna take it home here everybody um we there's getting to be this thing that's actually become organically just this segment on horror movie podcast that we call our uh, non-horror PSAs, public service announcements, where the films are either, it's either in the the camp of the Trojan horse thing where we want to like, not always, but we want to bring to the attention, okay, this looks like a horror film, it was marketed like a horror film, but not necessarily a horror film. A lot of times it's, it's right on the fringes, it's like thriller, you know. So we just have a couple of those we wanted to talk about. And I think one we are going to mention is Wind River, right, Josh, real quick? Yeah, Wind River is a 2017 film directed by Taylor Sheridan and written by Taylor Sheridan. And it stars Jeremy Renner and Julia Jones and um, Elizabeth Olsen and Graham Greene. And it's a, it takes place on a Native American reservation, I believe, in Wyoming. And basically what you have is um, Jeremy Renner is a tracker. And so he assists an FBI agent in tracking down a murderer. And yeah, I thought that this was going to be a little more horror. It is a crime drama, thriller, mystery film. There is, you know, a murder at the heart of it, but ultimately, yeah, it's just, I would say it's a crime drama yeah, absolutely. Thriller mystery. And slow burn. But excellent a, film though. Exceptional film. It, it it may end up in my top ten of the year over on Movie Podcast Weekly. Highly recommend it. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of crime film, excellent. And it's disturbing. I mean, it has some disturbing content in it for sure. Oh yeah. But but definitely super dark times in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of which, very nice transition there, sir. Super Dark Times is a film that I've been really excited about. And you're telling me, Josh, that you've you've heard some good buzzing in the community. It sounds like our community enjoys this film. Super Dark. Yeah, our community is high on it. I know Juan is counting this as a horror film for his 2017 list. Okay. And uh, okay, so that's the first thing I should say. Now, people don't get mad at me. I'm just putting it out there. I could see... I could definitely see the arguments and we're not going into a big genre debate right now, but I'm just saying I could see why people would call this a horror film for sure. So if you want to classify it as such, I totally support you. For me, this follows a lot more of the spirit of like Mean Creek, which I love, and River's Edge. It has a, a, a little bit of a Stand By Me. So it's, it, it's, it's much more of a just a dark drama coming of age uh, about some basically some teenagers who um anyway they they end up fooling around they get in a an argument and uh one of them dies that's the basically the premise and so they have to uh (laughs) deal with this dead body it's one of my all-time favorite premise premises is okay we have a dead body what are we going to do with it 
it's that kind of thing. And so, yeah, in terms of like this, this death, I mean, is that horrifying? Yes, it is horrifying. But it's like the tone of this film, for me at least, is more of a, like a, a drama crime type thriller. Fantastic. I mean, I really think it's enjoyable. And I just want to put out there, and I'd be interested in hearing people's feedback. I feel like it's definitely influenced by, um, you, you know, they do the the 90s Tarantino-esque. It's not quite Tarantino, but it's almost like they were a little bit influenced by, hey, let's have these, let's try to really inhabit these characters within their their age of high school and and let's have them have a lot of little witty banter and and fight about superheroes and all kind of little arguments you know and it just reminds me of like in pulp fiction the royale with cheese and all that jazz and 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 i think they do that here and i admire when they do that but for whatever reason it doesn't ring as authentic with me but it's still a beautiful film very intriguing it's my kind of movie um, if you want to hear uh, a more extended review of it, I'm going to cover it over on Movie Podcast Weekly. But, but Super Dark okay. Times for me is, um, but you'll you'll dig it, Josh, for sure. I mean, because I know you love Rivers Edge and Mean Creek, so mm-hmm. yeah, I love both of those movies. Like the Boys in the Trees, I've heard that this one is heavy on the '90s nostalgia, whereas you know a lot of the stuff we see these days is '80s based. Mm-hmm. These movies, I guess, are '90s based, and so that's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, we're getting older. <laughs> we we sure are. And and then the other one I was just going to talk about real quick is the Snowman, which that that is marketed. Um, it totally looks like a, a horror film, or at least like the Silence of the Lambs. And I think that's depending on how you feel about the silence of the lambs, I think it gets to that point. Like there are aftermath scenes because the snowman is about a serial killer. And by the way, it was directed by Tomas Alfredson, the the guy who did let the right one in. And Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful film. It's got a tremendous cast, but it, um, let me say it don't make no damn sense. (laughs) That's what I'm going to say about, I mean, it's very unpleasant to watch. It's, it's, actively and aggressively unpleasant for me and um it, except for the aftermath shots of like a, a few dead bodies it's really more of a, a crime drama than it is okay. a horror film to, to me at least but the, the other one i was going to mention is called the bar aka El Bar in its original <laughs> spanish title um this is a film that's shot in madrid Spain, the director is Alex de la Iglesia, and I really enjoyed his last film, Witching and Bitching, which is just a totally gonzo, weird horror comedy movie that has a little bit of action stuff. It's almost like uh, the Spanish version of Hocus Pocus, but it goes way darker and weirder. But then, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's a strange, strange movie. I was really interested in seeing what he was going to do next. I know a lot of people have said not all of his movies are horror, but they're all worth watching. Um, the bar came out rather than having witches, it deals with infection. And so I think it is definitely arguably horror. And I think if someone again wanted, like you were saying, wanted to put this on their list, I'd be fine with that. But ultimately it felt more just like an outbreak movie that didn't go full horror to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing takes place inside this bar, uh, in Madrid when, the outbreak begins in a really creative, interesting fashion. And it's fun to watch. It's a, you know, again, kind of a bonkers movie, but if you like that 
very energetic, comedic, strange stuff. <laughs> if you liked witching and bitching, I would just say, you know, the big difference between this is that had explicitly witches and this doesn't. And so that uh, it was easier for me to classify as horror, but fun. I get you. Okay. That's the bar. So there you go. That's our non-horror PSAs. You can uh, yell at me in the show notes uh, and yell at Josh too, because he deserves it. Yeah, too. Yell, yeah. yeah. Yell at us both. And speaking of that, I think that just about wraps up this episode. Sorry if we have any uh, residual technical difficulties in the recording, but you all understand. We hope we appreciate you being here. Thanks for listening to horror movie podcast. And I just want to kick it over to my friend, Dr. Shock. Will you let the listeners know where they can find more of your work? on the internet, Dave. Absolutely. Um, you can go over to uh, dvdinfatuation.com. I'm continuing on with the challenge. I think I'm at 40-some uh, to go now. And um, it's going to be a struggle, but I, my intention is to finish it by November 30th. It's not going to be a daily thing now. I'm going to be posting reviews in bunches. Um, it's just going to work out easier that way for me from you know when I'm at work days I work I can watch the movies and I can sort of you know do outlines for them it just is a little bit more to to write them with my schedule now but then on my days off I can kind of do these mass you know sort of mass postings of um, uh, multiple reviews I can put them all out at once Um, and my goal is to finish this by November 30th that's my ultimate goal Um, you can also find me at Twitter at DVD Infatuation I have a Facebook page and Instagram as well. And uh, I am also on the Land of the Creeps podcast, the uh, Universal Monsters cast, and the We Deal in Lead uh, Westerns podcast. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. And what about you, Wolfman Josh? And the Best Picture podcast, my favorite. <laughs> um, oh, right. I just wanted right. to recommend... <laughs> I wanted to recommend people... Become patrons of Horror Movie Podcast and the other Movie Podcast Network shows. I know that's very self-serving, but I was just thinking about this. Hey, you know, if you're like Jason and you rented The Cult of Chucky because you didn't realize it was on Netflix, mm-hmm. you spent what, like $4.99 on that rental? Yes, damn it. You can become you can become a patron of, of the Movie Podcast Network and get all of our awesome special features episodes. <laughs> One every month for sure and other bonuses thrown in there and really it's more about supporting the show you love that gives you so much free content than it is about buying those bonus episodes mm-hmm. think of all the hours you spent listening to horror movie podcast and the other shows on this network aren't those at least worth as much as your rental of cult of chucky i would think so <laughs> so if if you if you want to support us we'd really appreciate it it's patreon.com slash movie podcast network you become a patron for 250 it unlocks all the episodes up until now we really appreciate our patreon supporters love you guys the other thing completely self-promotional i'd say is check out our t-shirts designed by armored foes is our heavy metal logo uh, style that's available right now you can get that at teespring.com slash hmp metal that's teespring t-e-e-s-p-r-i-n-g.com slash HMP metal and uh, those you might see like a message it's like 
two days left one minute left those actually they they reset every few days or so so what happens is um, an order closes so that they can ship out the shirts to everyone on that order so don't feel like um you know you've missed it if it says the order's over a new order is about to start in a few minutes so mm-hmm. i've had that question come through a few times oh great okay well thank you yeah and um you know if they go to moviepodcast.network or even in our sidebar you could see like the artwork for the shows there on the network and you can check those out for free i'm on movie podcast weekly which is just absolutely ridiculous. So I hope you'll listen to it and see what you think. All right, and we love your comments, so uh, please keep those coming. Get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 132 here or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. Our voicemail number is 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes for Horror Movie Podcast, including... The Weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis. Those archives are at our website at horrormoviepodcast.com. We hope you subscribe free in iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, Leave us a review there if you don't mind. And uh, follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. We're also on Instagram. We want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And we also want to thank... Hagen Breitenbach for his uh, classical rendition of Fred's original theme. You can find Kagan and uh, Quartet Macabre at KaganBreitenbach.com. Those will be linked in the show notes as well. And guys, that's, that's finally all for episode 132. We thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. You guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I can. I heard I heard Jay say he appreciates McGee and then he just sort of dropped out. Oh, okay. Mm, yes. The Zencaster gods yeah, were upset about that. Yeah, the, the computer was the computer was like, no, no appreciation of McGee allowed. <laughs> that's that's what it was. That uh, it, they said, okay, there's nothing worth recording here. 